Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. John, this is our fourth episode in a row. It of, is. And uh, was I excited as the first one? You were but... just as excited as the first one right there. <laughs> that was amazing. We, uh, you, you, you didn't even go on for the rest of it, though. That, that you, you lost your excitement after the Welcome to the Why God Why podcast part. I didn't lose my excitement. I just... I want listeners to be engaged early. So I'm here (laughs) with our... You just cut everything short. You just went right for it. Well, I'm here with our producer, Dylan Carnival. Uh, We're also here with John Amayo, who uh, is their co-host and also the area director for Crew. I'm a pastor at Browncroft. We are here today to answer the questions that you thought you could never ask in church. Today, our question is, why am I feeling cynical and burned out? John, you wrote this question. I we did. have a personal friend. He's kind of family to me. His name is Scott Savage. He's a pastor out in Prescott, uh, Arizona. So we are looking forward uh, to him talking about it. How'd you land on this question for Scott? And just you put those two big things together. Yeah. Well, Scott was Scott was talking about both of them, and uh, I I thought, well, this is this is this could be a fun conversation if we combine them into one question. And uh, it just so happens that as I think of my life, when I think of um, the two, I, I have certain gauges in my life that I, when I look at how am I doing and I, and I stop and I, and I go, am I in a healthy place or a not healthy place right now? I've learned over the seasons of my life to analyze different things. And two of the gauges are, am I feeling burnt out slash exhausted and am I feeling cynical? And if, if those two things are true in my life, I know I'm just, something needs to get recalibrated because I'm not in a healthy place. I, by nature, am a very positive person, so I know when I get cynical, things are not good. But it does happen to me, so I just need to uh, do that. So I think this is going to be, a, uh, hopefully, uh, a good conversation for multiple people, but if nothing else, just for myself. And and just to be honest, I hope that you all are listening to this later, but we're still in the middle of the coronavirus and the shutdown, um, people are still working from home. Maybe some of them are coming back to their job. This has been a difficult season. So I think anytime we can lean into these two things, and as you made the connection, it's huge. So Scott, how did you come to a place where you needed to deal with burnout and cynicism? Lead us to the background of how this, I didn't want to say passion, um, but maybe you can call it a passion, but like how how has burn it burnout and cynicism um, worked its way in your life? Yeah, I mean I'm passionate about it from the standpoint that when I was dealing with it, um, it wasn't like I had a volume of resources to turn to to help me navigate it. I mean I found some things, and as I kind of share some of my story today, I can probably point to some things that were catalysts to me recognizing it and dealing with it, but. It wasn't like I went to the bookstore or Google to search and then there were just like millions of results that go, man, I just, you know, there's a million ways that I can get help with this. So I came out of college, um, I think fairly idealistic, uh, not like in a sense of like everybody's a good person and we can pursue world peace and, you know, unicorns and ponies. But I think I had an expectation of the leaders that I was around that they would, they would lead and that they would be healthy people and that they would fix what was broken and then they would wade into the danger zone and that they would have difficult conversations. And I found out that that wasn't always true. Mm. And, um, and so I think I started dealing with cynicism um, within a couple years of going to work in a church context. 
Mm. Um, and, uh, and then around the same time I was trying to wrap up a seminary degree that should have taken four years and three. And so I was feeling, I think, burned out from, you know, uh, overworking, not saying no, not having boundaries, not protecting margin, treating myself as an unlimited resource, drinking way too much coffee and rock stars and just living off of that kind of adrenaline rush. And so I, I think I was able to hold off burnout, um, you know, at that point for about three years. And then um, in 2012, that summer, I think I really full on went into burnout. Um, and, uh, and then it became, you know, very real cause it was, you know, just the elephant in the room. I had to deal with it. Mm. So I, I would love to explore both of those areas. Cause I don't think we, we often talk about both of them in the same conversation, but I, I've seen them related in my life and, um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering how they played out in your life as well. So specifically, can, if we could dive in a little bit of the specifics, you don't have to get overly specific, whatever you're comfortable with. But, you know, specifically when it comes to the cynicism, what what were you what were you most what brought you to maybe what you were most idealistic about that you thought? oh man, th this is not matching reality right now. At least I don't know if that's the way it works in your life. But for me, yeah. I build up these like really idealistic expectations of things sometimes. And then all of a sudden when they come crumbling down, that gets me, you know, in the worst spot. Yeah. I mean, the, the famous quote from George Carlin, the comedian is, if you scratch any cynic, you're going to find a disappointed idealist. Mm, right. And, and so I'm just convinced that, that, um, we're not cynical. I think this is a Carrie Newhoff phrase. We're not cynical because we don't care. Mm -hmm. We're cynical because we care too much. Right. Mm. And, and as a result, I think cynicism becomes a kind of short term solution to keep us from being hurt in a place we're tender and wounded. Mm. And so for me, I, I was cynical because I saw dysfunction, unhealth and hypocrisy in the church that I was a part of. And I saw leaders who weren't dealing with it, mm. who, who were either, who were either ignoring it or they, they were avoiding those tough conversations all the while people were being held up as man, you, it'd be great if you were like this person uh. or everybody should follow this person. And I go, well, they know a lot of the Bible that they're always at church but the closer I get to them, the less I like them. Mm. And, and they're relationally unhealthy. Yeah. They're, they're mean and judgmental to people who are different from them. And to be honest, I don't want to be more like them. I want to be less like them. Yeah. And, and so that, um, that sense of, I think disappointment in people that I had once looked up to and who maybe had an impact on me from afar, those wounds of like, man, I feel a little bit betrayed feel a little bit hoodwinked. I, I feel like my trust uh, was violated. Um, for me, I grabbed onto cynicism like a Band-Aid or a shield to put up over a place that was tender. But the problem was that I, I didn't use it as a Band-Aid. I used it as a permanent solution. Mm. And so uh, I think that cynicism in some ways is a good short-term solution to being hurt, but it's a bad long-term solution and the longer you stay there, the more it hurts you and the more it hurts others. And so that's, that's in large part what happened is I was, I was trying to make sense of what I thought this was going to be being a pastor, working in the church, going to seminary and what it actually was. And that dissonance just, you know, it hurt me and 
in a, a place that I think was deeper than I realized. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're describing, like, so we have, you know, listeners from all over the spectrum who are kind of listening mm-hmm. on the podcast. I think there's quite a few people and, and we really hope to that people who are in that spot that you were in are listening right now because that's why we do this podcast is to really speak to people who've been hurt in significant ways by the church and maybe are feeling really cynical right now. Maybe they see those relationships, those people lifted up on pillars, but the closer they get to them, the more they're like, this isn't reality. This is different than, this is not matching up. And that can shake your world. And I think if we don't acknowledge that, then we're we're doing a disservice to people. So I appreciate you you letting us into that situation a lot. Yeah, and as I'm thinking about you know what you're saying, uh, I go back to just our question: being burned out and being sin. Uh, is it like you know I, I can imagine this? It's not just pastors, but you know there's a lot of twenties, thirty somethings. You get a job at a nonprofit that you believe in, you get tired. And like all of a sudden this goal that you have just becomes insurmountable and then you begin to, to feel things like that. Do you think that that was kind of part of the rhythm too with the relationship is, you know, like you just lost sight on what the big goal was because here you are overworking with leaders that weren't helpful and now you've got to try to put this all together. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the more and more, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I spent 10 years working on staff at this church. There are so many things I'm grateful for mm-hmm. that happened during that time. I met my, my wife there, who is, um, my wife is cousins, Peter's wife. That's our kind of family connection. Um, I met her there. We started a family there. I grew there. I was mentored by some great people there. There's, it, it, it is, it's, it, I can't throw it all away as bad. Mm-hmm. But part of what made me cynical was the unhealthy environment. And part of what was the recipe that cooked up a place that I became burned out was an unhealthy environment. Mm -hmm. There was an expectation that you would work into your days off. There wasn't a freedom to say no. Boundaries were not modeled or encouraged. Mm -hmm. Um, You only went to counseling if your marriage was falling apart or you were going to have to, you know, leave the ministry. Mm. And so, and so I, as somebody, I didn't know that I was a, a three on the Enneagram then, but I know that now as somebody who's an achiever, who is a performer, who had some insecurities that he wasn't dealing with when you, when you had the, the cynicism that was coming and I was trying to deal with all this stuff and I was working in a way that was really unhealthy and nobody was coming along and saying, Scott, why are you here on your day off? Scott, why are you working full-time hours when you're a part-time employee? Hey, Scott, Hey, are you going to use your vacation time this year? You know, you're taking time off. Mm. Um, no one was asking me those things and no one was checking in on me. And, and I didn't have, I feel like support or modeling to, to pursue a more healthy rhythm. The same environment that made me cynical also made it really easy for my sin and dysfunction and unhealth to lead me down a path to be burned out. And so, um, it's connected I, in that way. I want to stop there because something that I don't always hear when people are cynical and they're burned out is um, taking ownership of their role. Uh, that's really, I mean, if we're honest, when we're cynical and we're burned out, that's not easy to do. You just mentioned a couple things there. How did you come to the place that you said, you know what? There's a lot of things I can't control, but what's my responsibility? How did you land there? That's powerful. 
Well, I think that I think you know, there's similarities between cynicism and burnout and differences, and I think in its genesis, there is less agency in a person's cynicism than there is in their burnout. Hmm. Like often, if somebody goes something hard, we'll go, "Man, if I went through that, I'd be cynical too." You know. So I think in a lot of ways, we understand why somebody becomes cynical because of a traumatic event or something that just triggers that, and we go, "Man, you didn't have any control over that," you know. Uh, but when, but when somebody goes through burnout, I do think that there are often environmental factors at work that you're not in control of. Like, I think everybody is going to deal with burnout in 2020 because of COVID-19. Uh, it's just unavoidable. However, I think we have more agency to either avoid burnout or work through burnout than we do cynicism. Um, Mm. because I think burnout is not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it. Um, and I think we have more agency when it comes to that. And so I, I can talk about the environmental factors that led me into burnout, but, but I recognized when I was finally facing burnout in the summer of 2012, I began to kind of do like a, a postmortem or an autopsy on how I got here. And it became clear to me, okay, uh, I'm not saying no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm violating my margins. Um, I saw some, some moments where I made decisions, but didn't think about the second and third order consequences of those decisions and how those decisions linked to other decisions. And I just said, you know, I can blame everybody else because I'm burned out, but if I want to stop being burned out, I got to own that process. Mm. So I might as well own how I got here too. Um, Mm. and, uh, and I I realized that I was going to have to develop a lot more sustainable rhythms and mindsets in my life and in my leadership. And as I began to think about what those were, John, you mentioned that dashboard. I mean, for me, I have a dashboard that for me indicates if I'm flirting with burnout or cynicism. And I said, well, if this is the dashboard that's going to lead me towards health, let's turn that around and look at the last two or three years. And, you know, all of those numbers were running on empty. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't taking a Sabbath. Uh, I wasn't, um, I was on my phone way too much. I was working on my days off. I would be on my computer at night. I, I didn't say no. Um, I, I did not, I wasn't developing other leaders. I was just doing it all myself. And mm. so the, the, the things that helped me to go, how do I be healthy going forward? Were also the things that I look back and I said, these things are totally absent right now. Yeah. I love how a fire truck just ran by when you said dashboard. So it's as if God <laughs> is like smiling upon us. <laughs> well, this is another thing too. I think that you kind of alluded to this, but I'd like to uh, I'd like to delve into it just a little bit. Um you you talked about no one was asking you those questions. Obviously a part a mark of a healthy culture would be that that someone was interjecting there and going, "Hey, have you have you taken a day off? Hey, when's your Sabbath?" Hey, let's really lean into this. Like, uh, what, how about vacations? Are you work? You're, are you doing full time work on part time hours? Like, those are all good questions in a healthy environment that you would really hope that that people would be leaning into. But what I find is in a lot of cultures, it not only is it not those questions aren't asked. It was it's kind of encouraged that you push the boundaries into unhealthy oh, territory. Is that what you were experiencing during that? that time as well. Yeah, I mean, I look back as, as a lead pastor now, I go, man, those are the kind of questions I want to be asking my team. And right. so I look back and go, man, I wish I had a leader mm-hmm. in my life or I wish I was in a culture that asked those questions. And so there's, there's some like, you know, like, you know, longing for that in the past, but I've come to recognize like 
most most cultures are not healthy. Mm-hmm. They're unhealthy. Right. Um, and in that environment, I don't think that anybody um, in most people's workplace are going to come and say, hey, are you taking care of yourself? Right. You know, uh, most people don't have the emotional awareness and the emotional, you know, quotient to go, man, you seem off. Yeah, I'm just doing it in my math. I'm doing the math in my head. Most people aren't that self-aware of themselves, but that's anybody else. Mm-hmm. So what I try to say to people now when I share my story is the one thing you can't delegate is taking care of yourself. Mm. Um, and so, you know, whether or not somebody comes and asks, how are you doing? Whether or not somebody's even aware of how many hours you're working, whether somebody's even tracking when the last time you took vacation was, um, you're going to have to, own that for yourself and figure out a way to be healthy yourself, whether anybody else is checking on you. Right. And so, um, I think that's where I think a lot of times when we end up in cynicism, we end up in burnout, we project all the agency responsibility to our environment and the people mm-hmm. who are working, you know, we're working for and going, man, it's their fault. And certainly they probably could have helped create an environment that would have fostered more health or maybe helped speak into you when you went on the wrong path. At the end of the day, though, you're a leader, you know, you're going to, you're going to stand before God for yourself. You got to own your part of it. And even if they played a role in you getting here, you're going to be the driving force with God's grace to you getting out of here. And so I just think those, that, that kind of blaming just doesn't help you when you're in that place moving forward. You just got to look in the mirror and go, I've got to figure out how to do this. So we uh, we love the Enneagram, and you mentioned it. So you opened up that uh, fun can of worms. How did um, how did knowing your Enneagram number threes are achievers? How does that frame this discussion about burnout and cynic- cynicism for you? Because it just it sounds like you made some pretty big connections to it. Well, I mean, I didn't realize. I, I mean, I think I learned the Enneagram was three or four years ago, um, and most of this burnout and cynicism was. 2007 to 2013 for me. Um, but before I knew I was a three, I took a retreat day in 2012 when I finally faced my burnout. I was in a leadership meeting. Our, our leadership community was split down a line. It was a very, you know, fractured room as the leader. It was one of those where I looked to me and goes, okay, leader, what are we going to do? And Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, I'm not a, a very emotional person when it comes to tears, but I just broke down crying Mm. and I just said, guys, I got nothing. Mm-hmm. You're all looking to me for leadership and I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not hearing God. I don't know where to go next. And I'm just really, really tired. Mm-hmm. And I was scared to say that cause I felt like I was going to be judged. Um, but what I found was just grace. Mm-hmm. There was a woman in the group who just, you know, walked with the spirit and she just said, we need, we need to pray for Scott. And so she brought a chair in the middle of the room. She sat me down and she said, we're all going to lay hands on him. And I just, I mean, it just, it was waterworks. Mm-hmm. And I just wept that night. And I said, I'm, I'm already scheduled to go away to my friend's guest house tomorrow. And I took a couple books with me. Um, and one of them was the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that part of the reason I was burned out is I was, I was leading out of insecurity. I was trying to perform for people's love. I was trying to perform for God's love. Um, I was, I was caring way too much about people's approval. Um, and that was manifesting in all these unhealthy behaviors that weren't leading me into the, the life that Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he came to give us that was abundant. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so before I knew that what an Enneagram was, I, I knew what insecurity was. I knew what an Enneagram Christ was. And I knew that my tendency was to perform in order to be okay. Mm. And I knew that the, the stage was my friend and my enemy. It made it much easier for me to communicate, but it made it really easy for me to be insecure. Uh, you know, love languages to kind of switch the, the, the personality test. You know, my love language is words of affirmation which is great because that's how I receive love. And, and sometimes I care too much about people's words. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I just started recognizing, hey, there is, a, there is a place here that is a strength, but it's also a weakness. It's how God wired me, but it's also how Satan tempts me. And so I think my self-awareness really began to grow by leaps and bounds in that season as I tried to get healthy and tried to go, okay, what do I need to be aware of? What do I need to watch out for? And, um, and a lot of those things are summed up well in the Enneagram and I was figuring it out. And then eventually I got to go, Oh, there's a term for it now. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. I, you know, I, I love how you're reflecting on that. You know, often our biggest strengths can be our areas of biggest weakness at the same time. They have this flip side to them and, I've certainly seen that in my life, you know, some of you as you're uh, talking, I'm just kind of amening along along with you, you know, inside of my my heart a little bit. I, I wonder, like, if as you describe that burnout, just kind of breaking down, is that is that the the moment that you felt like you you had completely just burned out or was there more to it than than even that were how did that burnout affect you and, and how you functioned kind of not only in that well, moment, but afterward? Yeah. I mean, I think that was the moment when I finally named it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I named, I am burned out. Yeah. Um, and I think it was then beginning to get some awareness, like I've described and how I got here, but also what this was actually meaning. I think I started getting honest mm-hmm. about, um, how I was feeling, um, what this had led me into, you know, I started recognizing, um, how I've been skimming on relationships and, and really staying on the surface. I started realizing that I, in some places I started mailing it in cause I just didn't have it in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started realizing, I think all of just more and more symptoms. Yeah. Um, I think the thing I would say to people, if you're going through burnout is that you don't get burned out overnight and you don't get through burnout overnight. And so I think for me, it was something that was at least three years in the making, may have been even up to five years in the making. And it was a solid nine months from that breakdown night, that day retreat the next day, you know, in August of 2012, it was until May of 2013 Mm. when I was away again. And I said, I think I feel like I'm back. Mm. And so, um, you know, it, it was just a long process and I think we tend to not be patient right now. Um, patience is, is a fruit of the spirit, but it's not a fruit of our culture. Mm. And, and so, you know, if we're going to move through the hurt that's behind the cynicism or the things that are causing us to be burned out and heal from that, it's just going to take longer than we expect. And so you just have to be really patient and celebrate the small wins. So for me, it was, uh, I'm reading the Bible again, just for me. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm praying and I actually sense like I'm feeling God's presence and I'm hearing things from him. Um, you know, I I took a day off and nobody made me do it. You know, um, (laughs) uh, I can't remember the last time my wife told me to put the phone down. 
Um, you know, I, I went on a vacation and um, I didn't check my email while I was gone. I started celebrating those small victories and those began to be the things I focused on was those intermediate steps and not like just the big, the big picture. So I feel like this is really important. Walk us through the, those nine months. You kind of already have, but you know, take us through your, your Sunday to Sunday schedule. I, I think, again, listeners, we're not saying you have to do what Scott does, but I think the spirit of what Scott did in those nine months, what did it look like on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? Because you're, I mean, you're very, very structured. Some people that's helpful, but I think you walking through this process, yeah, you you took days off, you took your Sabbath, but there seems to be like a whole process in that nine months. Help people understand what that looked like. Well, one of the things that happened was that leadership community that was looking for me to make a decision, I made a decision. And that was that we, sh- we shut this thing down. Mm. And I killed it. Mm. Um, and that was the hardest decision I think I've still made as a leader. Because um, for a lot of people, we were ministering, I think, to a lot of the audience you're trying to reach with this podcast. We were reaching people who were either de-churched or were looking to leave our church. And this was kind of their last stop. And so for a lot of people, it was like, you're saying that we can't have our, our church anymore. And I, I began to realize that my decisions and my predecessor's decisions had really sowed dysfunction into our foundation. And, and I think the, the well was poisoned and we weren't able to pull our way out of it. And so I just said, Hey, this is, we, we're going to have to just, you know, end this. Mm. Um, and part of what that did, and I know right here is in a pastor in ministry, I make a broader application. When you're burned out, you're going to have to set, uh, an expectation in the intermediate future that you have diminished capacity mm-hmm. and really embrace that. Yeah. Uh, most of us are going to have the option to say, I'm just going to stop working and I'm going to go to, you know, on-site therapy for three months. You know, most people don't have that option, but while you're burned out and until you feel like you're back, you may have to say, Hey, I'm, I can't give a hundred percent. I'm going to have to give 70% mm-hmm. and that's going to be a hundred percent. So I'm going to give a hundred percent of 70%. Mm. And so for me, it was going to say, I have diminished capacity, so I, I can't write and preach every week right now. And so part of the gift of that time was, is I, I that, that's the longest time in the last almost 15 years I've gone without, without writing a message. It was almost eight months mm-hmm. where I didn't get on stage and I didn't teach anybody anything from that standpoint. I just worked on me. So I think for people, if you're burned out and you're moving in that part, embrace a diminished capacity and say, hey, how can I pull back so that I can actually come back and be fully me for the long term? You know, embracing an eight month like diminished capacity for the sake of a future is way better than going, I'm not ever going to drop my capacity and then you're going to be done permanently. Mm hmm. So that, that, that was a huge part for me. It was also beginning to just work on some of the weaknesses that I think had facilitated it. It was, I, I started reading everything Brennan Manning wrote, uh, and I felt like his struggles were my struggles. And so I worked really hard on my identity, uh, making sure that my identity was in who Christ said I was, not who people said I was. Um, and I wish that I'd gone to counseling then, but there's a variety of reasons that I didn't. Um, but I think I started doing the work that I've, now furthered in counseling. And I started, I started forgiving. I think that was the beginning of me, the beginning of forgiveness work to go back to the cynicism. Mm. Cause I think the cynicism came from wounds that I needed to deal with. 
And I've started beginning to really deal with forgiveness and um, recognize that the people who had disappointed me were doing the best they could. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and that may not have been what I expected of them and what I wanted of them, but recognizing and seeing their own brokenness, um, I think helped me begin the process of forgiving. Yeah, that is, oh, that's so good. Uh, I think forgiveness is something that we don't dwell, we don't really talk about enough probably in regards to to cynicism and even burnout, really. I mean, our, our minds are kind of constantly going sometimes, you know, and uh, ruminating on things uh, about what others have done to us. Uh, I think it was Neil Anderson that, that his, he, in one of his books that said, Forgiveness is uh, deciding to live with the consequences of another person's sin, and um, and and essentially not holding them accountable for what they've done to you. You know, letting that that go. You somebody has to pay the price, and forgiveness is saying I'm I'm gonna pay that price. That's a tough thing, though. That doesn't happen like overnight, generally speaking. How was that process for you, that for process of walking through forgiveness? I mean, I, I think I'm still in it, mm -hmm. if I'm really honest. Yeah. Um, not different people, mm -hmm. but the same environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've created a whole course on forgiveness to try to put together um, what I learned. Because um, I, you know, whenever I brought up forgiveness, in my experience, it was like dropping a bomb in a room. Mm. You know, Um that's how I was. When I first started thinking about forgiveness. I was like, heck no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, whenever I would start talking to people about it, I mean, they had, it, it, it produced the most violent reactions in people of anything I've talked about. Mm. Um, and in, in large part, I think that was because I had a misconception of forgiveness, multiple misconceptions of forgiveness and other people did too. And so we were unwilling to deal with those. Um, and get over the fact that I, I didn't want to forgive people because I thought if I forgave them, it meant I had to do X. Right. And once I realized what forgiveness really was, I go, okay, I can do that. And I, and so for me, it was, it was beginning to humanize people. Um, there's actually scientific research, peer reviewed studies that show that empathy is connected to forgiveness. Mm. And so when we believe the people who hurt us were monsters and not human, we can never forgive them. Yeah. But when we begin to realize that the many of the people who hurt us were doing the best they could, that they're broken humans, and we begin to see them with some modicum of empathy, the percentages of the ability to forgive go way up. Mm. And so when I began to see one of the people who had hurt me deeply as somebody who himself had been hurt deeply, and the reason why he didn't confront the things is because he'd been so hurt and wounded in the past that he didn't want to be hurt again that began to be, I think the first step towards forgiveness mm. for him. Um, and so, uh, I think forgiveness is a, is a decision and a process. So you mentioned it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I think forgiveness is different from reconciliation. So there are people at times that I forgave and reconciled with, mm -hmm. and then there are people that I just forgave. And I said, I don't want to be in a relationship with you again, but I want to be free. Right. So I need to forgive. And then there were others that I went all the way to trust that we forgave we reconciled and we rebuilt trust and, and the relationship, you know, was redeemed. But there are people from that time period that, um, that, you know, uh, either I never, I've still struggled to forgive and there's people who 
struggled to forgive me. We literally had to um, remove somebody from our will. Wow. Because of that time, um, because the relationship was so um, broken. Wow. So, uh, it's, you know, I appreciate the environment you guys are creating on this podcast for honest conversations. And I'll just be honest. Sometimes when you go through burnout, you're always going to feel the effects of it. Sometimes when you've been cynical, you will always walk with a limp. And sometimes forgiveness does not work out the way that you want it to mm. in the relationship in the future. Um, but I think you can get through cynicism and not live in it every day. I think you can get through burnout and actually lead again. And I think you can be free from bitterness because of forgiveness, but it doesn't always look the same for everybody. You know, what What I appreciate about what you're saying is not just the authenticity, but how practical, because um, again, I'm, I'm just gonna use the language of the Enneagram. So as, as a two that's a giver, you know, our problem, we have a problem with saying no because we don't wanna let people down. And I can't always go to the people that I serve or the people that lead me and say no. Like, you know, it's not like we can just quit our jobs and all that, but you have to find some semblance of of just normalcy. I don't even know if that's the right word to walk through it. So again, when you talk about process and things like that, you know, it's funny, we were emailing back and forth and I was like, well, we already talked about forgiveness and you're like, well, there's way more I could talk about. So maybe we'll have you again for forgiveness. Um, but I think we're good with burnout and citizen. We landed at the right spot, but like, you know, it's, it's these little shifts, you know? So if you're burned out, you, you said something that relates to me, like, who are you asking help from? You know? And I think that sometimes, you know, and I'm thinking about this digitally, like, most people, like when it comes to like a podcast or social media, like most people I deal with are very behind. So I don't have a lot of help. But what that means is for that example, and I'm thinking of millennials and Gen uh, Gen Zs that are in the same place, like that requires you to raise up people to help you. And sometimes we choose the burnout path because it's like, I'll just do it myself. But really, it's the day-to-day, who are you raising up? And also, it's even just asking the dumb question. I mean, you killed a role that you had. It's asking the dumb question, like, why am I doing this? You know, if I stopped doing this, would anybody care? Because we put all this pressure on ourselves. So I don't know, John, I mean, how do you, are you resonating with that too a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm definitely resonating, uh, I think. Scott, what you're sharing is so deep, and um, I know people are connecting with it. I'm connecting with it. I, 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 my mind goes to this. So as you're talking, my mind is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, this is fascinating. I want to know what some of the marks of the culture that now as a leader, you're trying to create a healthy culture. I want to go, hmm, I bet you there's a lot of wisdom there. How do you define, how do you, how have you responded to those things? and use those situations that you've gone through that have been really difficult to create now a healthier culture on the other side of it in what you're leading now. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think one of the things that is um, a sign of health is that there is healthy vulnerability mm. um, where we have the safety to show up and go there. Yeah. Uh, 
And so as a leader, when I stepped in here, I, I made some really intentional decisions to lean into vulnerability right away um, and say, hey, I'm going to lead from vulnerability. You can hold me accountable. You can ask me hard questions. You can push back on me. And I'm going to share from my struggles because I have, you know, limp mm-hmm. as a leader. Um, so that was really important to me. Um, before I got here, um, I think I had some things that were already going for me. There was already some things in place as a church that I think were really healthy. There was a sabbatical policy. Mm-hmm. So every six years, um, you either get a two or three month sabbatical based upon your level of leadership. Yep. So this is the third year in a row we've had somebody go away on sabbatical and their experience coming back and talking about it, um, informs everybody else. Um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, are you on track to take all your, your vacation days this year? And I had a year where I didn't, and I, I said, I want some accountability on this. And, um, I'm holding another guy on our team right now accountable cause he didn't hit his last year. Um, and then I think it's starting to say, Hey, when people are away, we're going to try to protect them. Mm-hmm. We're not going to reach out to them. We're going to, we're going to, you know, I, I got an email from one of my guys when he was away and I said, is this my staff member who's on vacation? Who's supposed to be president with his family? And he's like, got it. I'll see you in a week. You know? And, and I didn't answer his question. Yeah. You know, um, it was, it was kind of joking, but it was like, Hey buddy. And same things happened to me. I, I sent an email once and I was supposed to be like, is this my lead pastor who's supposed to be on his Sabbath on Saturday? I mean, and so mm-hmm. we just, and we kind of joke about it so that it's not super harsh, but we hold each other accountable to that. Um, and I just think that you have to go first, whatever level you are, whether you work for a crew or you're in a nonprofit or you're in an office or you're in a church, you know, if you wait for somebody else to go first, like the pool party where everybody has their swimsuit on, but they're all standing around the pool. Like eventually somebody has got to do a cannonball splash on everybody. And two minutes later, everyone will be in the Somebody has to go first. So you have to decide, I can't wait for somebody else to go first or I can go first. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to risk. I'm going to model. I'm going to be the change I want to see. And it doesn't all rest on you. I think that's some of the recipe for burnout is you think you have to be everything, Mm -hmm. but you do have to be the catalyst. If you're the only person who's seeing it or if you're the one with the burden, you're going to have to go first. What's the hardest question a staff member has asked you or what's like the first one that comes to mind? You know, I I had a guy on my team and I I think he wasn't, he wasn't sure how much I believed in this. And I, um, this is, this is like super, like I've never told this story before. I had gone, um, to Africa on a mission trip and I'd flown back through New York and I had like a 12 hour layover. And so I had a student of mine that um, now lived in New York and went to Hillsong, uh, New York and was involved there. And so I uh, met her for breakfast and she kind of gave me a tour around Hillsong and kind of behind the scenes, which is a selfie together. And he came in my office about a week later when I got back and he just said, Hey, I don't know if I have the credibility to do this, but I just wanted to check in. How's your marriage? Hmm. And I just, I've seen, you know, I've taken a picture with this girl that apparently used to know, but it's in a city you don't live in. And I just wanted to check in on you. Hmm. And, and I said, you know what? I closed the door. I said, I really appreciate you asking. I said, you know, 
we're doing really well. I ran that past my wife. She knows this person. She said it was okay. We were good. And I really appreciate you having the courage to ask that question. Um, please, please do that ever again. If you feel like you've got to check in your spirit about something. Hmm. So, wow. That was, that was, that was, that, I don't know if it was the hardest, but that was probably the most intense. Yeah. One of those moments. The, the humility though, it takes a certain level of humility to be able to respond to that and to go like not defensive and to not go, Hey, why, why in the world are you questioning my marriage? What are you, you know, I just, a lot of people I know would just, that's their knee jerk reaction would be to go, what do you think? What do you, of course I'm not, it's nothing. We're, we're fine. Now get out of here. Don't talk to me again. But to say, wow, thank you for, for honoring me with that question. That's a very valid thing. Uh, I have, I have processed that with my wife. We're in a good spot, but Hey, please do that again. Uh, if you have any problems like that is something that I think not a lot of people experience. So I think that is the mark, you know, that's one of the marks of a healthy culture is that you can do that. And like you said, you're, you're leading first in that. And as leaders, those of us who have been placed in those spots, un unfortunately, sometimes that's the part of the role, you know, I mean, that comes with it. We got to be willing to do it. Um, and I, and I'll be honest, I've not always responded to hard questions. Well, you know, I, during COVID, you know, I got into it with one of my team members on a zoom call in the front of the rest of the team. And so when the zoom call was done, I picked up the phone, I called him and I said, Hey, you know, we need to talk about this. I didn't handle this well. And then the next zoom call with the whole team, I just said, Hey guys, you saw what happened. Um, I want to, I want to be open to feedback. I did not receive that feedback. Well, here's the reasons why I own it. Hmm. I apologize. I want to hear from you. I know you're probably going to be guarded the next time. Cause I didn't receive this well from the other team member and that's okay, but this is who I want to be. Yeah. Well, but that is handling it well though. Cause none of us get well, the response, right? None of us, none of us interact with each other perfectly all the time. I mean, you know, we would be angelic. Be we'd already be walking the streets of heaven at this point if if that was the way we were. But that that is an illustration of actually, yeah, okay. So you didn't do it well in the moment, but then you follow it up with, "Hey, let's make this right." To everybody, that's the sign. That's a sign of a a healthy. Yeah, leader. and and I guess you know to John's point, what what I'm curious about, and um, you know, I've loved this conversation. Uh, is like you talked about the leaders that you worked with having more empathy and compassion because they probably grew up in a culture like that. Um, I think about the leaders that have hurt me the most. Um, they like, it was almost as if like cynicism and burnout, it was like, well, what did you expect? Like, so you'll hear things like, you know, I'm the boss, like, just do what I say, like, and, you know, I, I'll never forget, I, I made a clerical error, like, and this leader who I had a ton of respect for said to me, it'll never happen again. And I just said, I'm going to do my best. And then they came back to me and they said, it will never happen again. And I just, I remember in that moment, like, now, I mean, I just, I finally said, it'll never happen again. Like, what do you want? And I, I just, I remember now thinking that person probably sat in my chair and someone said that. And 
the reason I bring that up is, do you feel like it was a one-time choice, I'm not going to lead like that, kind of like, I'm not going to become the, okay, so how is that as a process? Because here's the deal, you know, nobody wants to become the guilt-ridden parent, but they do. No mm -hmm. one, no one wants to become the disempowering leader, but they do. No one wants to be the burned out cynical leader, but they do. Besides being authentic and so, what are some things that you would encourage people to do to lead well in this area? Um, well, I mean, I think everybody needs to be in counseling at some point. Hmm. And I think as a pastor, I think part of my job is to help people know that, you know, yeah, you need Jesus, but a good therapist wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we end up leading out of our dysfunctions and our dysfunctions end up impacting other people more than we realize. And I would just encourage people that if you don't deal with those things, other people already are. Hmm. So when I think about, you know, my time, I think part of the struggle of my leadership, I'm really transparent is I spent way too long as a leader leading out of who I didn't want to be and what I didn't want to do. Mm. And I tell couples that are getting married, I said most couples that I know either react against their parents' marriage or they try to recreate their parents' marriage. Mm. And as a result, you know, neither one of those, if you're just fully in that is healthy. It isn't just to say, I'm not going to be my parents or my parents were perfect and I want to be perfectly like them. Like, neither one of those is really a, a exclusively good path. And I, I would just say in the same way as, as a leader, if you're just reacting and saying, Oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. Eventually you have to say, okay, who do I want to be? Right. And so for me, it's been going, okay, I know I had these negative experiences and I know what I don't want to be, but, but who, who do I want to be and how do I get there? Um, and in large part me leading and trying to create, and foster a healthy culture as me saying, okay, if I'm going to have a healthy culture, it's probably going to be connected to me being a healthy person yeah, and me being a healthy leader. And my team is only going to be as healthy as the leader. My church is only going to be as healthy as the team that's leading it. And health is not a destination mm -hmm. where mm. you arrive. Right. It is a pursuit that you are constantly in. And so I would just encourage people, you know, wherever the places that you see that you are unhealthy start there. There's probably more, but pick one place and get started there and let that lead you to other places. So for me, it was going, okay, I've got an unsustainable lifestyle. Um, I've, I've got to get physically healthy. Um, I've got to tackle this identity stuff. And that eight years ago is, has spun out into stuff that I'm still working on today. And eight years from now, I'll, st I'll have some new stuff to work on and some similar stuff to work on. But at the end of the day, I'm just committed to doing the work um, and recognizing that if I want my team to be healthy, then I have to be healthy. And, um, and that's just going to be a lifelong pursuit. Mm. Wow. Um, this has been a great podcast. We're going to have to have you on again. Um, thanks for volunteering to be on too. He, uh, Scott had Robin and me on a, um, on a Instagram live, love what you're doing, oh, Scott. Yeah. And uh, we're we're just gonna close. We close every podcast with the same question. 
Um, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? So the great thing about pastors, if John and I preach some heresy, then you can just clean it up um, or something like that. So John, I'll let you get started. Yeah, I mean, as I think about the life of Jesus and I think about um, his example to us, here is someone who had every reason to be cynical, if you think about it. Like the pain that he saw on a daily basis, the 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 people that were demanding of him and just on a daily basis, it just kept on coming over and over and over again. And yet what you see in, in Jesus is this example of a, a gentleness. And I think that gentleness is there because he has set boundaries that he knows I'm not going, I'm only going to listen to what God wants in my life. That's the most important. Beyond that, what people's expectations of me, that's that's a side thing. That isn't that isn't what I'm living for, the expectations of, of others. And um, I think that prevented Jesus from being burned out because his, 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 his focus was on spending time with his father and he just always did it. He would just go away from people. I mean, the, and I think it's in Mark that it says, and Jesus often withdrew and went to lonely places. And that one little statement about the rhythm of the life of Jesus was one where he wasn't hurried, he wasn't trying to impress people, he was just living out the mission that God, his Father, had given him, and and that was his whole purpose in life. And um, I think so. In this way, he's he, and in every other way, but in this way specifically, he's our ultimate example of this. So anyway, Peter, that's great. Um, I I never thought about Jesus being someone that could be the most cynical person, but wasn't. That's really good. I, I'm going to go kind of a similar way, but just I want to read out of Philippians 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And I think we read that verse on the surface level, and we think that we're supposed to be called a doormat. But what we've talked about is we've talked about individuals not getting burned out in cynicism, and we've talked about teams and organizations not being burned out in cynicism, that leans more on the teams that if you have a group of people that's looking out for their own interests of others. So the way that works is, you know, Scott's not the only one that gets in trouble because he's emailing um, from vacation. And that means that the staff person that works with Scott is not the only one that gets in trouble for emailing on that uh, on vacation. That's the vision of community of how to break from cynicism and burnout that Jesus is giving. And so I think what Jesus would have to say about it is as you continue to experience the gospel, you know, we've talked about forgiveness, you begin to see others in a different light, not to become a doormat, not to become pushed over, not to result in cynicism, but at some point in your life, you find a group of people that are willing to give to you as much as you give to them and not expecting anything else, but it's just the right thing to do. And as John was saying, you know, the rest of Philippians 2 is about how Jesus became a servant when you don't have anything to prove, when when you can say things like, I'm tired and it's valued and it's encouraged. Um, that's how I think you, you deal with the cynicism and burnout. So those are the impressions that I'm leaving with. 
Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I love how Eugene Peterson renders the end of Matthew 11. I think it's some of his best translation work in the whole Bible, you know, in Matthew 11, 20 to 30. And the message says, are you tired? Are you worn out? burned out on religion, which seems to me to cover both of our topics for today. Mm-hmm. Just come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Mm-hmm. And wow. I think on the topic of cynicism and burnout, I think Jesus would say, I want to offer you the way out of that. Um, and it's a very different way. And I think in 2020 facing coronavirus and the number of the myriad of things that we're dealing with right now, um, most of us are, uh, are fighting or will fight burnout and cynicism this year. Um, we're going to try to force things and manufacture things and strive for things and try to control things that are uncontrollable. And I think what Jesus would say is you can go that way, but I know where that path goes and you don't have to go that way. Mm -hmm. You can walk with me and to me and you can regain your life and recover your life and you can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm. I think to people who are burned out and cynical, you don't have to live that way anymore. Mm. You can come to me and I will offer you a very different life. Um, which sounds on one level really relieving, like, but I would encourage people it's, it's going to hurt too. Mm. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to face things. You're going to have to deal with things. He's going to make you uncomfortable. But on the other side of that is everything that you actually want. Wow, man, that's a great place to stop. Um, we're going to be tagging Scott in our posts, so you're not going to want to miss it. Um, Scott Savage Live. He has a Tuesday morning email uh, that comes out. You're going to want to sign up for that. And uh, like he said, he mentioned his course on forgiveness. Um, Scott, we're going to have you on again. Um, We'll talk about that. I feel like I keep saying that. We just keep getting great guests, you know? So this is great. Um, Make sure you go to whygodwhypodcast.com. You can also subscribe. We have a weekly email. Um, Use the hashtag WGWpodcast. We'd love to interact with you, write a review, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much.